Well, good morning. Hope you're glad to be here. It is wonderful to come into the house of the Lord and worship together. And the Christmas season is in full swing for sure here at Nova and really everywhere you look. We're a couple of weeks into our Christmas series called Carols. And uh, as we began talking about and planning this series many weeks ago, I came to really love the idea that would be at work throughout the series. Not a series about Christmas carols and songs per se. That really didn't grab my attention. Excuse me. Um, But a series about the Christmas story found in Scripture, uh, but seen through the window of looking at the lyrics of some of these popular Christmas carols and songs that we sing. I thought that was a really interesting idea. And as we talked more and planned as a staff weeks ago, uh, there was one particular carol that came to mind for me, and I thought it would be great to use this one as our window to look at the Christmas story on one of our Sundays. Uh, I also knew that, though, depending on the songs that were picked, there might be a little bit of overlap with the various uh, texts in the biblical story in the Gospels, uh, where we find the story and all the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. And the song I chose uh, is one of those, uh, a little bit. It's, O Come, All Ye Faithful. O Come, All Ye Faithful. And, and this flows out of different parts of the Christmas story that are found in more than one biblical passage, in more than one of the Gospels. And so for our time together today, we're going to look really at uh, two main passages of Scripture. We're going to focus on two of them. Uh, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, and also Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, and I'm also going to read verse 16. And so you can turn to either one of those or both. I know sometimes if it's a physical book, it's hard to put your hand in two different places. Or if you have an electronic device with a Bible app or through our Nova app, you can turn to those passages. But I'm going to set each of them up briefly because there's two of them uh, and read them for us as well right now. So first, it'll be part of the Christmas story from the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 2, we find what is hopefully a very familiar aspect of the Christmas story for you. It's the story of King Herod and the Magi, or the wise men. And we learn that the Magi are looking for the one who has been born the King of the Jews, so that they can go and find him and worship him. And we'll pick up the story in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 2. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented with him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew 2, 9 through 11. Next, we'll see part of the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke chapter 2, we find the story of the shepherds out in the field. And I'll read a portion of this story beginning in verse 8. Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And also verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Here in God's word for us, we find ourselves looking at the story of the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, that first Christmas, and what a story it is. The birth, the birth excuse me, of our Lord and Savior, it's announced to shepherds, it's announced to the Magi, and we also today get to hear this announcement as we read these accounts in the gospel. The song we're talking about today starts right at this point in the Christmas story. And it's really a song of invitation. Of course, the song was written much later, hundreds of years after that first Christmas. But it brings us right into the story alongside some of these main characters. And I want to just take a quick moment and talk about the song itself. The exact origins of the original hymn are actually not really known, but it was most likely composed by John Francis Wade in the middle of the 18th century. That would be the mid-1700s, originally in Latin. And the Latin version, or at least the first two words, which mean, come you faithful ones. The Latin version is very recognizable to us today because of the popularity of the song, because of its being translated into our languages today, and because of how many times the song has been sung by many, many people. But the most well-known English translation of this old Latin hymn was translated in 1852 by Frederick Oakley, middle of the 19th century, translated into our language, here at least English, for a hymnal. And here we are today, over 165 years later than this, still singing this song of invitation at Christmas time, year after year. And for our time together today, We'll be talking about the biblical story of Christmas seen through this window of our popular Christmas carol. And we'll look briefly at the song as a whole, but our main focus, what I want to do for our main focus today, is focus on the lyrics from the chorus of the song. A quick look at the song as a whole, though, easily reveals aspects of the Christmas story. I jotted just a few down. If you look at the back of your notes, if you flip that over, I put the the most, three most popular verses and most well-known verses of the song right there for you. And, and as we just read over them briefly, we'll begin to see things like, O come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels, born this happy morning. You'll see the, the phrase, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. You'll see a reference to sing choirs of angels. A lot of different aspects of that first Christmas story. There are also other verses of the song that are not as well known. And one of them, interestingly enough, I'm going to read for you. It's not on your sheet in front of you. But it reads this. True God of true God, light from light eternal. Lo, he shuns not the virgin's womb. Son of the Father, begotten, not created. And this verse that I just read not only tells the Christmas story but it also references one of the most famous creeds historically of the Christian church, the Nicene Creed. Those are some of the many ways that this song points to the Christmas story in the biblical text. But as I mentioned today, for most of our time together, I want to focus on the lyrics from the chorus of the song. And the chorus begins with the phrase, O come. This phrase, O come, 
opens up the song. And it shows us, I think, that the first thing the song reveals to us is that the Christmas story invites approach. The Christmas story invites approach. In the biblical story, there are clues given to different characters in the story, and also some very specific instructions in the gospel texts about what was going on and what they could do and where they should go. The Magi were following a star in search of the newborn king whom they wanted to worship. The shepherds were told that their Messiah had been born. The Magi followed that star, and they found Jesus, and they worshiped. The shepherds listened to what they were told and went where they were told to go, and they found Jesus also. They were all invited to approach the Savior, the newborn king, and they were even shown and told directly where to find him and how to do that. So the Christmas story through the window of this song invites approach to Jesus. And as we continue singing this song of invitation, that begins with, O come, in the chorus. The next phrase of the chorus, I think, is also very informative. It says, let us. Let us. This song, I think, relates very well to us today. And I want to talk just a little bit about us. The encouragement to come all ye faithful situates the singer, or the us, because we're the ones singing the song, it situates us right among the shepherds who rushed to see Christ. It situates us right among the magi who traveled far to see Christ. And it situates us in the great continuation of the faithful that have found Christ since then for the past 2,000 plus years. That's a little bit of the us. O come all ye faithful. And that's the come all ye faithful part. But the addition of to Bethlehem brings us right to the nativity. Now, nativity scenes for us have become kind of a staple around Christmas time. Not a stable, a staple, I said. Uh, they, they can be seen everywhere, in homes, on lawns, uh, in stores, on stages. Uh, and we've grown very accustomed to seeing the nativity scene with Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus and a, and a whole assortment of other animals and characters and angels. And really, there's nothing shocking to us about seeing a nativity scene. In fact, we see it as cute. But when we think of this first nativity, there's a bit of a shocking element there. You see, every detail of Jesus' birth was orchestrated by God. And every detail of Jesus' birth was to set the scene for the Savior of the world that first Christmas. So it's no coincidence that God speaks to entirely different groups of people. And as we read Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2, we'll see the wisest and the richest, and they're invited to worship Jesus. And we'll see the lowliest and the outcasts, and they're invited to worship Jesus. Because Jesus came to save all people. This is revealed right here from the start at the first nativity. The shepherds and the magi both did the same thing upon coming before Jesus. They lowered themselves and humbled themselves and worshiped. It didn't matter anymore if somebody was rich or wise or low. They were all the same at the feet of Jesus. And I think the same is true for us. When we truly come to Jesus, it's not about our accomplishments anymore or our failures anymore. 
It's about the perfection of a Savior seen as a baby, sent as a baby, excuse me, for you and for me. And this main idea of the season we sometimes call Advent, it's this idea of an arrival, a getting ready for. Another way to say it is just like this song does. Come, come, Lord. And this beloved Christmas hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful, it's a song about coming. But now the invitation is not for the Lord as an Advent, but it's for all of God's faithful people. O come, all ye faithful, it says. And in that sense, it draws us right into the Christmas story. It invites all of God's faithful to come, including you and me. The Christmas story includes all believers. And of course you can say the Christmas story includes all people, but through the window of this song, it's the faithful. And we can't literally visit Jesus in the manger anymore. Even if we were to go to the church of the nativity in Bethlehem, we wouldn't still see a baby lying in a manger. But we can come to Bethlehem in a sense. We can come in our imaginations as we allow the Christmas story to inspire us. We can come as we reflect on the miracle of Jesus being born. That word of the Father now in flesh appearing. And this might be hard to put into words, but recently I came across an interesting idea and I want to share it by asking a question. Let me ask you this. Don't answer out loud, but I'll ask you this. <laughs> if you had to summarize the Christmas story with one word, what word would you choose? Now hang on just a second. Your word would have to capture two different ideas. It would have to capture what the story points to as the core of humanity's need, and also, what is God going to do to meet that need? Do you have a word in mind? Maybe you're thinking, it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible to pick one word that captures those ideas, that summarizes the greatest story ever told in one word. But something I read recently tells me that I think we can. So I, I want us to consider one amazing, history-changing eternally significant word. It doesn't take paragraph after paragraph or page after page or volume after volume or book after book to communicate how God chose to respond to humanity's sin. I think it can be captured in one word. And maybe the first one you were thinking of was one of the first ones I thought of. Maybe you're thinking, I've got a word. It's the word grace. And that's a good one for sure. But there is a single word that captures all of this better than the word grace. It's not a theological word. It's a name. And that name is Jesus. One of my favorite current devotional authors that I've been reading lately writes about this idea in his Advent devotional, which I picked up this year. And I want to just share three paragraphs with you. God's response wasn't a thing. It wasn't an establishment of an institution. It wasn't a process of intervention. It wasn't some new divine program. In his infinite wisdom, God knew that the only thing that could rescue us from ourselves and repair the horrendous damage that sin had done in the world was not a thing at all. It was a person, his son, the Lord Jesus. God's response to our rebellion was to give us himself. He is the great redeeming, transforming gift. 
He is the rescue. He is the forgiveness. He is the restoration. He is life, hope, peace, and security. There is no salvation apart from Him. There is no deliverance from the presence and power of sin apart from Him. There is no restored relationship with God apart from Him. There is no new heaven and new earth apart from Him. There is no end to sickness and suffering apart from Him. There is no defeat of death apart from Him. There simply is no such thing as redeeming grace and all that it means apart from the willingness of God to give us Himself in the person of the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus is the grace of God given to sinners who cannot free themselves from the grip of sin. Look into that manger at the baby boy and see grace. The Christmas story is about grace in its most shocking and surprising form. The Lord of Lords, one of incalculable glory, humbles himself and takes on human flesh and blood. The Creator, in a way that boggles the mind, becomes the created. Jesus. Here in one single word, the name of Jesus is the shocking turn in the redemptive story. Jesus is the grace of God to sinners, he wrote. Jesus is who we come to in worship today as a church. Jesus is who the Magi searched for and found and worshiped. Jesus is who the shepherds went to find. And back to the song for, for just a couple of moments. There have been a lot of wonderful observations about this song and, and the Christmas story that we see in the scriptures through it. And one pastor noted this. What captures my attention here is that as we sing, we summon all the faithful on earth to come and we summon choirs of angels to come, both to see and adore Christ. Verse 1 says, O come all ye faithful. Verse 3 says, sing choirs of angels. And so the us of O come, let us adore him is the us of heaven and earth singing together. I love that idea of, of the joining of heaven and earth together in worshiping Jesus. There's some other ideas that are heavily emphasized in the song and kind of based on the repetition you see in there. If you just look through the lyrics, you can find 20 imperatives in the lyrics of the song. Sixteen of them are come, as the lyrics get sung over and over, especially with that chorus. Three of them are sing, one is behold. There's also some soft imperatives, if you will. Let us adore him twelve different times. Then there's some imperative-like ideas. The word glory in three different ways is used three different times. And all this is trying to make a point. There's an aching or a longing, a, a passionate summoning. It's almost like somebody is saying, hey, people, join me. Heaven, join me. And they're asking, will you come? Do you see? Will you sing? And they'll continue, come, see, adore. Please come, join me. And why do I bring this up? I've learned in life and in studying the Bible that repetition is there usually for a reason, for an emphasis. And this song began with, O come all ye faithful. 
and our song builds through to this idea towards the end of the chorus. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Repeated over and over by every faithful participant who's singing along with the song. Adore, I looked up the word. It means a few things, but they're all very similar. To regard with the utmost esteem, love, and respect. It's to adore. To pay divine honor to, to worship, is adore. Another one is to like or admire very much, as in I simply adore the way your hair is done. (laughs) That's a little different, but these are what the word means. And as I was preparing for this message and thinking about this word adore recently, a couple of things came to mind. One of them, it's something you read about a little bit from time to time, or sometimes you'll see it on TVs or movies. And you can picture the scene of a woman going into labor, getting ready to give birth. And no matter the location, there's always things like nervousness, pain, anxiety, especially if this is her first child being born. Uh, and, And not just for the mom. There's all kinds of questions and things going on in a scene like that. What could go wrong? Is everyone gonna be okay? What's happening? What's going on? What does this mean? Why are there so many people coming in and out of the room? And as I thought about this, I remembered it was January of 2006. My wife was in labor, and we headed to the hospital. We lived in a a small town in Northern California at the time. It was very late, nearing midnight, Uh, but the drive was very short. And uh, they admitted my wife that night, and just a few minutes before midnight. And at midnight, the baby was now seven days past the due date. Now, there's something you don't know about me. I don't do well with certain things. I don't do well with blood, and I don't do well in certain medical emergencies, especially if there's going to be blood involved. Um, <laughs> don't worry, I'm not going to talk about gory details, but we didn't, we didn't even have to explain this to the nurse, because apparently my entire face had gone pasty white. Um, <laughs> that was a long night. Uh, not, not just for me, though, because it wasn't about me. This was our, fir- <laughs> this was our first child. And and my wife had never experienced anything like this. I had never seen her in that kind of pain. And quite frankly, there was absolutely nothing that I could do about it. And without going into detail, after hours of labor and pain, in ways that were new to us and in ways that I probably couldn't even find the words to describe or express, our daughter was born, our first. And in the moments right after the birth, in one way it was kind of like they show it, on TV and in movies. All the labor, all the pain, all the tears, all the difficulties, all the anxieties, all the worries, all the questions turned to something else. As soon as Sadie was born, in that moment, it all became pure adoration. Just adoring that little child. And this little one changed our lives forever that morning as we became parents for the first time. Now, I know this is not the exact same adoration that our song is talking about, but I think it helps me understand how to come before my Lord in adoration, in worship. Our song shows us that the Christmas story invites approach, also that the Christmas story includes all believers, 
and that the Christmas story involves worship. The Christmas story involves worship. All of my pains and pressures and anxieties and worries and troubles, all of the things that grab for our attention day in and day out, all of that moving to the side as we come before Jesus to worship and adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. The other thing that I thought of as I was thinking about this idea recently, it was just over one month ago that a friend of mine lost his teenage daughter. Uh, When he and I met, I was about six years old and they moved in across the street from us. And without going into too much detail, here we are so many years later, about 40 years later, moves and marriages and family and kids And then tragedy happens, and I cannot even imagine what he and his wife and his family are going through, losing a teenage child. I don't even think I want to try to imagine. But I attended the celebration of life, and I was struck by something that was a part of the service as I thought about this. The pastor opened the service uh, with a few words, uh, but then he explained that the family wanted in this moment to begin that service with a time of worship. And they asked someone to come forward and lead everybody in attendance in that room that day in songs of worship to our Lord. Not a popular song that was a favorite, not a country song. Worship. Songs of adoration and worship to our Lord in the midst of deep grief and deep pain. And I was struck by that. And it was an amazing moment that day. And I'm thankful for that moment, for that refocusing of our minds. O come all ye faithful, a song of invitation. It invites us to the feet of Jesus with the chorus, O come let us adore him. O come let us adore him. O come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. This season in the midst of all the celebrations and gift-giving and get-togethers, I'd like us all to be careful to remember that at the center of what we celebrate is one game-changing, life-altering, hope-giving reality. And His name is Jesus. (laughs) And today in the moments that we spend throughout the season, it's my hope that the words of this carol will help strengthen your connection to God and to his church. That's, O come all ye faithful.